Welcome everybody. Thank you guys. I don't know if I should come out dancing sometimes or not. I want to see that. Um, it's one of the things I told the pastors in Africa when, when we worshiped together. They would, they would actually have like dancing that was like worship and like there's movement that I've never, like I don't know if you white people could pull this off. But I told them, I said, one of the things I'm learning being in your church is that when I get back to America, I need to take some dance lessons. A friend of mine uh, slowly slid a card across the table. We were in this old Puyallup, like, diner. It's called Aunt B's, having breakfast. What, what? Aunt B's? And he slid this card across, and it had a name and a number. And it was weird because my friend, he's, he's not very outgoing. He's never uh, given me a number uh, before, someone to call, and, and, and it was a girl's number. And uh, we never talked about girls. I'm, I was probably 24, 25, and, um, and he slid this, this number to me, and I was like, I don't do blind dates. And so I started sliding it back to him, and he stopped. He's like, I never do this. He's like, I probably never will again. He's like, but I feel like I have to give this to you. you whatever you do with this number is what you do with it. But I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm the messenger. I'm just delivering the message. And so I, I flipped it over and really looked at it a little bit more. It had this name, Sarah, on it. And I was like, oh, I don't do blind dates. It's kind of weird. And um, I remember uh, him just saying, well, look at she, she teaches across the, uh, across the portable for me. They both taught in these portables. She, she teaches English at Puyallup High School. He's like, she, um, she's, I just feel like you got to meet her. It's her personality. She knows the Lord. He's like, I did ask her permission before uh, getting her number to you. And I was like, ah, this is so weird. And I wasn't going to do anything with it. And I remember getting up after breakfast and heading out. But it just kept on like coming back to me. I was like, well, my friend Mark, he, he does never do He's super introverted. He's like math nerd of the highest order. And I mean that with all due respect. Like, like the best kind of math nerd. And some of you guys are like, all math nerds are awesome. Like, what are you talking about? And he, I mean, this is, he is such a math nerd. He, would, he could be walking down the street. And if he heard a... Uh, a rock in a tire, he would calculate by the resolutions per minute how fast the car would be going down the road. Are there a few of you guys out there like, oh, there's nothing nerdy about that. That's, that's amazing. And I do that all the time. He would count steps up and down when he would walk. I mean, he just was a math guy. I was like, he's never done anything like this before. It was kind of weird. And, and then I started putting some things together. I, had, I was running a youth group at the time, and I had uh, some, some gals in my youth group that said, oh, you've got to meet our English teacher. And I was like, nope, I don't. And um, they were like, you'd like her. You're from Bellingham, and she wears hiking boots. <laughs> Sarah loves that part of the story. And so finally, I decided, you know what? I'm going to call her. So I called her up, and um, the rest is history. One conversation at Aunt B's over breakfast changed the trajectory of my life. Man, I wouldn't be the same person without Sarah in my life. How many of you can look back in your life and see some key conversations that have changed the trajectory of your life? Has anybody here had those kind of conversations? You know, it's interesting. It can be with people that you love and you respect that you've had a relationship for a long time, right? And there's like one conversation that all of a sudden, boom, just changes the way you thought or what you did or gave you confidence and just changed you. How many of you know that that conversation can also happen with someone you've ne- you don't know at all? 
And God uses that one conversation to change you. They don't have to believe the same things you believe even. They can believe something very different or have a very different life, speak a very different language, and they can change your life. And we are jumping into a series, we're calling it Taco About It. Some of you guys are probably disappointed today, you're like, where are the tacos? We're going to be talking about spiritual conversations, how to have spiritual conversations. Jesus was a genius when it came to spiritual conversations. He was always talking with people about their deepest hurts, their deepest needs, questions, issues, problems. And as he was going through, through life, he was just drawing people to the love of God in how he had these spiritual conversations. So I think there's a, there's a tremendous amount we can look, learn from Jesus as we look at the spiritual conversations he had. And that's what we're going to be doing is looking at those uh, spiritual conversations. So I'm going to pray and we'll, we'll uh, jump in. Does that sound good? Father God, thank you so much for each and every soul, every heart that is in this building. Would you use our church? Would you grow our church? Would you grow us from the inside out? Change who we are. Transform us. Spirit, would you speak into our lives, Lord? I pray that we would be learning to have conversations with you all the time. And Lord, we'd be open to what you're doing. We'd be brave and bold and courageous in the conversations we have with the people you bring us. In Jesus' name, amen. It can just be one conversation that changes your life. Uh, I, I, before I jump fully into this, I want to I want to talk about um, a f- just a framework for this um, this sermon series. This sermon series, if you are a skeptic or an atheist, someone who doesn't believe in God or uh, agnostic, you're not sure, or you have friends that might be in those categories. If you are either starting, beginning, or um, or helping someone on their spiritual journey, this is a series that like I think you're going to love. Bring your friends out for it as we move toward Easter. I want our church to really turn up the heat of, of spirituality and learning to engage other people in conversation about deep spiritual things, about real things. And um, one of the things I've noticed is oftentimes people can become really afraid of spiritual conversations. They think, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Am I going to do this right and some people are like I don't want to seem bossy or controlling or so I don't I won't engage in that and so when there's opportunities they kind of step back because they're either afraid of of what they're going to say or not saying the right thing or they're like I don't want to come across as bossy controlling or or, or anything like that but what I want to do is I want to give you a different uh, framework to understand spiritual conversations. Something that really changed the nature of, of conversations for me. Gave me courage and boldness and to make it more normal in my life and not to be scared of it. I, I get these texts often throughout the, the year and throughout the week of, of um, people who are asking, like, how do, I, how do I talk about this with my family member? I, in fact, I got a few texts even this week. Um, you know, how do I... How do I help my friend who's had this tragedy happen? He's not a Christian. And how do I help him? He's really facing darkness right now. How do I, how do I face and talk to this family member who's dying and uh, we don't see eye to eye on anything? Politically, religiously, how do I... And, and these texts will hit me and, and, and often I just want to be like, man, you have what it takes to have this conversation. Remove the fear. Remove the fear. Share your faith. Share your heart. Share your story. Tell them about what God has done in your life. Share about what God's love has done in you. And some of the people that are the best spiritual conversationalists I know have the biggest fears about it. And I think we all, I've been there. And, and so here's the, the, the switch. It really switched for me when I realized something. 
I want us to move from what do I have to say, what am I going to say in this conversation, to what is God already doing in this person already? What is God already saying? What is he already doing in their life? Um, uh, An author named Leonard Sweet uh, wrote this. He said, evangelism or spiritual conversations is recognizing that God is already at work in people's lives before we arrive on the scene. He's already there. And our role is helping people see how God is present and active in their lives and calling them home toward God. I love this. Uh, another mentor and, and leader in my life, a guy named Gary Rohrmeyer, wrote this. All we need to do is recognize God's hand on the lives of those around us. Doesn't that change the conversation? When it's not like a, a, the pressure isn't on you to come up with all this stuff. It's, no, 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 no. It's not what are you going to say. It's what is God doing? How can we speak into what God is doing in and through their life? How can we speak to the, the deepest hurts, the deepest areas of pain, the deepest questions and barriers in their life? I had a, f- a friend named John uh, who, who started engaging me in this spiritual conversation. It started with him giving gifts to me and my family and, and stopping by and connecting with us. I'm like, why does John keep, he's just so nice and he's, he's such a nice guy. And, and, and at one point we were, we, were getting, we were together and we were talking and, and uh, I was like, so John, tell, tell me what's, what is God doing in your life? What's going on? Just seems like and he, he wouldn't identify as a Christian, you know, at that point. And I'm not even sure how, how he'd identify himself now. And he said, well, I was in a bookstore before I ever knew you. And, um, and, and there's this book that found its way into my hands. I don't even know how, but I was doing all this stuff. And I must have picked up the wrong book. And I was like, well, it's about God. I don't really like that, but I, maybe I should read it. Maybe it's a sign, he chuckled. And then started looking through this book. And it all of a sudden started changing its perspective. And then he started noticing other things like that, other people that God was putting into his life. And then he's like, and then you're in my life and I find out that you're a pastor. And he's like, it just can't be coincidence. He's like, I just have started to follow the breadcrumbs. And I was like, God's been talking to you, hasn't he? And he's like, yeah. This is from someone who's before they really have believed. And, and we don't have to have the pressure of what do I say The question is, what is God doing? Are we curious? Do we notice? Can we see God's hand in people's lives? So I want to look at a passage to kick off this series. And it's a conversation that is incredible between Jesus and a skeptic. It's a conversation with someone who is skeptical about faith, skeptical about Jesus. Anybody ever been there? Anybody have friends who have been there? This conversation is incredible. It's found in John chapter 1. It's about a, a man named Nathaniel, Nate. The Nates are always the skeptics, I've found. A few Nates out there. That's actually mainly true. I, most of the Nates I know are very skeptical in their thinking. So if you're about to have a child um, and you want a skeptical one, name him Nathaniel or Nate. It starts off in this story, verse 44. Uh, now Philip was from Bethsaida the hometown of Andrew and Peter. And I should say before jumping in, I I want us to experience this conversation much like when we experience like a work of art, you experience it by taking it in. 
But then after we take in this experience, at the very end, I want to give us just four observations. If we want to learn something from an artist, you, you take in the art, you let it, it hit you, you experience it, and then you take some time to observe and break it down. Like, how did the artist do this? And how did they get this brush stroke? And, and how do they create this lighting? And you begin asking those questions. And Jesus is an artist when it comes to spiritual conversation. So I want us to experience it, and then I want us to like learn from it. Sound cool? So here we go, verse 44, Philip was from Bethsaida, hometown of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and told them, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the Old Testament, in the law and the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth, we, we found the promised one, the Messiah or the Savior, they're so excited, uh, and you guys remember when you might have first stepped into faith with Jesus or had an experience with God that really changed you, how excited you were? There's like one person who nodded. Wow, we got an excited crowd. Anybody remember the joy of the Lord that like you were just bubbly and excited, passionate about your faith? Come on, put those hands up. You remember that? Those moments? Okay, when you were bubbly and excited and joyful and you came to a friend who was not and didn't know your experience and might not believe what you believe, might be a little skeptical, what was the response when you said, this is what God has shown me and this is what I'm learning and this is what's happening. You got to check this out. What was the response? Wah, 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 right? Like... Wait, hold the phone here for a second, George. You're a little too excited about this. And watch Nathaniel's response. They talk about there's this Jesus. He's the answer. He's the Savior. He's from Nazareth. And his response is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So Nathaniel responds, his friend responds to his excitement and his joy and his invitation. Can anything good come from there? I mean, this is a skeptic of skeptics. I mean, he, know, he doesn't want to be disappointed. He doesn't want to be led on. He doesn't want to be the fool. And so he's, he approaches life, like maybe many of us in here, we have like this, this skepticism towards things. Like if it's good, too good to be true, then it's, it's too good. And I, how many of you guys subscribe to that philosophy? I mean, there's reasons that we can be skeptical. What I want to talk to you about with Nathaniel our friend Nate here, is that skepticism can be a good tool, but it's not a good uh, lens to look at all of life. There's problems with that. But it's interesting as skepticism. He says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, um, when I was in high school, I, I lived in Bellingham, and we, uh, when I was in high school, we had a wrestling team that was really good, like top in state. And our rival with wrestling was a town and a high school called Cedro Woolley. You guys ever heard of Cedro Woolley? Anybody from Cedro Woolley? Oh, good. I'm going to offend a few people here today. This will be great. <laughs> so I'm from Bellingham. And Bellingham is like, if there could be an equal and opposite view on everything involving life and spirituality and politics, it would be Cedro Woolley and Bellingham. Like, they just the political life and nature of Bellingham is totally different than in Cedro Woolley. It's just so different. And there was this rivalry. I remember one year, Bellingham, the wrestling team, won. They won the match by like one or two points. And they were interviewing some of the wrestlers afterward. And there was one guy who had, had this quote they're like, well, are you, guys, are you guys worried about them next year? Because they got some young guys that are coming up. He's like, we're not worried at all. We, we won this easy. They won by like a point or two. And he's like, we won this easy. And he's like, ah, Cedro Woolley's just full of, uh, he said, Cedro Woolley's just full of moonshine, moonshine and chainsaw oil. And, uh, and, the, and the, they took that, like the reporters took that. It was in big, bold letters. <laughs> In Cedro Woolley, that kid from Bellingham who, you know, had the audacity to say that, that all that was in there was moonshine and chainsaw oil. 
There was a mob of people the next year waiting for him. I mean, they had to have, uh, uh, this doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but they had to have, they had to have uh, a, a, like a bunch of guards around him as he walked into the gym and out of the gym because they had pitchforks and chainsaws and moonshine. They were ready. They were waiting for him. It was so much animosity. And, and in the story, Nathaniel's like, Nazareth, Cedro, Wooly, the only thing in Nazareth is chainsaw oil and moonshine. And how many of you guys have had conversations with friends or family members, or maybe even you here right now, and when you think about Christianity and faith, you think, man, that's, that's Cedro Woolley. Christianity's from Nazareth. Like, what could come from there? Nazareth was in the north of, of Israel. It was known for crazy rager weddings and parties and just wild and woolly people. What could come from there? And many times when people look at faith, they kind, of, they kind of have this skepticism. They fold their arms and they shake their head, they roll their eyes. Like, what good, what good could happen with Christianity? That isn't, or haven't we moved past faith? Why do we need religion? That just, that just seems like a fairy tale to me. How, how could that add value to anybody's life? It's, how can anybody believe that in our modern era? I mean, it's just, it's Cedro Woolley. Have you guys ever experienced that? That's Nathan's it's his, his mentality, but here's some of the, the issues. If you have um, skepticism as a major vision in your life or a tool in your life, I just want to challenge you with a, a few things as we go through this passage, but the first thing I want to I bring to you to, for your consideration is this. Um, when you are a skeptic of everything, it can lead to contempt for people and their beliefs. And when you have contempt... Contempt kills conversation. When you have contempt or disdain for someone, you can't learn from anybody. You've closed yourself off. And what I've noticed a lot of times, whether it's skeptics, atheists, agnostics, and they're looking at something different than their worldview, and they're talking with someone who might be a Christian or a person of faith or some other you know, uh, faith, uh, th- they can have this mentality. Those people are judgmental. They can think about Christians. They're judgmental. They're from Nazareth. They're from Cedro Woolley. I don't want to be anything like those judgmental people. But what's the problem when you have contempt towards somebody? So you are judging them harsher than you feel like they might even judge you. It's like, you want to, it's like that guy who wants to break up with his girlfriend before she breaks up with him. It's like... Um, it's the skepticism is this, this, we look for what's not good at the expense of looking for what is good. And the problem with, with if you have skepticism as the primary vision for your life, like the lenses by which you see everything, not just a tool, skepticism can help us like ask good questions, but if that's the primary vision, here's, here's the problem with it. You're, you're so busy poking holes in everything that you sink your own boat, Skepticism, if you, all you are is just poking holes in other people's thoughts and worldviews and all that stuff, is you, you end up not having anything to stand on because you don't actually say you stand on anything. You're just standing on like other people's boats that you're trying to sink. And you're sinking if that's your primary way of thinking. And, and it's like a, where it, you know, the, the March Madness is going on. It's like if you watched a football, uh, basketball team and all they could do is they, ha- they had this amazing defense and they could just block shots like crazy good. And a skeptic is like someone who can block shots but can't shoot. They can't score. They can't put the ball in the hoop. And so Jesus, in this conversation, and Philip in this conversation, actually try to help 
Nathaniel move forward beyond just being skeptical, beyond just this place of what's wrong and rather than what's right and what's not good rather than what is good. Because when you have that mentality, if you're only looking for what's not good, you cannot see good because you're not looking for it. It's blinding you. I call it the Seinfeld syndrome. You guys know what that is? You guys watch Seinfeld in the 90s or reruns? Like it was the, the, there's this running joke in the show that Jerry can never like find the love of his life because of what? The perfect, the perfect woman could hit his life and often does, but he always finds the one thing that's the problem. Like there's one gal who's perfect, she's wonderful, smart, loving, amazing, beautiful, and, and, but then she laughs and she goes, <laughs> some kind of crazy, and they're like, oh, the laugh. The laugh, I can't handle the laugh. Jerry, I can't handle the laugh. And all of a sudden they're breaking up because they can't handle the laugh. And the show is hilarious because we're watching a a community, a group, that their whole life is based on skepticism. Their whole life is what's wrong with what's, what's right. And they can only focus on this little thing that's wrong. And it like ruins everything in George's life, Jerry's life, um, Kramer's life, a little bit of Elaine's life. Some of you guys are like, what are you talking about? Go watch, no, don't, maybe don't go watch the show, but just trust me, it's great. <laughs> the Seinfeld syndrome. The Seinfeld syndrome. Here's the other thing with skepticism before I move on. Um, I think this is important to know. I've noticed in my life, when I've become more skeptical, more looking for what's wrong than what's right and what's good, is that I miss some of the things that God is doing. If I'm skeptical back toward a skeptic, I'm not seeing what God's doing in them. I'm not looking for it. So this isn't just a non, this isn't like Christians versus non-Christians. This is a people issue. Christians are often more skeptical than skeptics. And here's what I noticed in myself is that I, um, when I'm skeptical of things, I will easily doubt my beliefs. Ah, Maybe that's not true about that person. Maybe that's not true about God. I'll doubt my beliefs. But for some reason, I give my doubts a hall pass. So I don't doubt my doubts, but I will doubt my beliefs. I will, you know, verify my beliefs, but I won't verify my doubts. Have you guys noticed this about yourself? I think this can ha- it happens to me, and I, for, I don't know why. Why do we give, why do we give a hall pass to our doubts? Because all a doubt is, is an anti-belief. It is a belief, it's just contrary. But well, like for some reason, like it's more intelligent to ask why and say that's dumb or and that's no good or what good could come out of this? What good could come out of that friendship? What good could ha- come out of that person's view and this person's view? And, and that perspective is a belief. We, we just, for some reason as a culture, we think, oh, that's, that makes you smart if you can just kind of say why. It doesn't make you, my daughter was three years old when she started asking why. But we, we, we don't doubt our doubts. And I want to encourage you to learn to doubt your, your doubts. There's an, an incredible moment here where Philip, he's faced with this response. His friend, he shares his faith, his passion. Come check out Jesus. You've got to meet him. Like he, He's the one. And he's like, what good can come out of Nazareth? And just shuts it down. And instead of arguing, instead of like picking a fight with his friend, what does Philip do? He says these words. Underline this in your Bible if you have it. Come and see. Some of the most powerful words when, when we're on our spiritual journey trying to help someone else grow. He doesn't fight you know, with another argument. He just says, hey, come and, come and check it out. Come experience Jesus for yourself. Well, well, we can answer some of these questions. We can go through some of that stuff. But just come on for the journey. Come meet him. Come and see. 
And I just think that is so powerful. His friends are so passionate and compassionate. Like Philip so cares about Nathaniel that he's not looking to pick a fight. He wants him to experience something new. And he doesn't let contempt kill the conversation. Because sometimes like skepticism is really a defense mechanism. It's like, I don't want to be hurt and I don't want to be disappointed. And so we just let this skepticism lead our life and, and we're protecting ourselves. And, and when a friend really is hitting us and is combative and argument, argumentative and they're, they're really confident in their arguments, like the more someone has to convince me they're confident, the less confident I actually feel they are. And Christians, that... That is a two-way street. The more confident, the more we have to let someone else know like how right we are. Sometimes I wonder if we really believe what we say we believe. Because if we did, if you're really confident, if, I, if you're a confident person, why do, you have to like, why do you have to force how confident you are onto other people? A confident person is just confident. They don't have to bluster about it. In this story, I love it. They don't let con- contempt kill the conversation, and they invite him to explore Jesus. So Nathaniel, the skeptic, begins to doubt his own doubts. Who knows, maybe for the first time. And he begins to investigate this Jesus from Cedro Woolley, from, Na- from Nazareth. 40, verse 47, Then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said about him, Here uh, truly is a dis- an Israelite, in whom there's no deceit. I love that. And Jesus, Jesus sees him coming. He's like, here's a man who speaks his mind. Other people might call him a jerk. Other people might say he lacks all social awareness. He's just like, he just rains on people's praise. He's not very nice. He's real kind of bitey with his words. He's a skeptic. He's going to make you feel dumb. And Jesus, like, Jesus affirms the good. He says, I love a man who can speak his mind. My grandma used to do that when someone would be like, you'd be really negative and be like, this is the worst restaurant experience of my life. She's like, well, Pamela, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> Just this loving, I love how honest you are. And that's what Jesus says. I love how honest you are. And check this out. Um, this is so amazing. When, notice this in the words, underline Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. Underline that. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and then spoke to him. When we, when any one of us begins moving towards Jesus, isn't it true that God begins speaking directly to us, to who we are, to, 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 to you and me? Like Christianity isn't a, a religion about a principle, it's about a person. His name is Jesus. And Jesus begins speaking directly to Nathanael. Not generally, specifically. Isn't that wonderful? I had a skeptic friend that, you know, he had experienced religion in a really bad way in another country. And when he came over here, we met and we're talking one time and we're just starting our friendship. And he just started hammering the church. I don't think he knew I was a pastor at the time. And he was like, like the uh, religion is evil. It's a parasite and it's, uh, it is just so evil it's, and it's a fairy tale. And, you get, he just start, and it was using lots of other colorful language. And I was like, oh, yeah. He's, you know, and the, I think the question came, he's like, yeah, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Oh. <laughs> well, I do think that you, you know, he wanted to defend it. I'm like, hey, that's fine. But I did have a question for him. I, I, I said, um, how can you call something, how can the church be evil if you believe everything is by accident? The universe was formed on accident. If it's an accident, there's no purpose to anything, right? 
Yeah, well then how can you, how can you judge anything and say it's good or bad? Like, be like someone who takes a, a watch in their hand and they start trying to hammer nails and it breaks and they're like, oh, this, this watch is really bad. Well, what's the purpose of a watch? It's to tell time, right? So you can't call something bad or good unless you know what it's purposed for. Calling Christianity bad, if you believe that everything's like this accident and we're just all here by random chance and particles that have slowly evolved, you can't really say that something's good or bad because you don't believe that people have purpose. They're just random chance. But I think that humans have purpose. And that, yeah, when, the, when evil happens and murder and lying and hatred and all, you know, you know, we see all kinds of evil in the world. We can call that evil because we know we were not purposed for that. Does that make sense? Spiritual conversations are so important. And, I, and Jesus sees Nathaniel moving toward him and, and Jesus moves toward him, speaks toward, to him. And now verse 48, pick, um, underline this. Nathaniel's response to Jesus when he says, ah, here's someone who's, who tells the truth. They speak from the heart. I like that about you. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? How do you know me? I love that this, I think, is the center of this conversation. I think this is the center of this moment in Scripture. Um, Jesus isn't, isn't interested in, in fighting about an argument. He doesn't want to argue with Nathaniel, first and foremost. He wants to transform Nathaniel. And he wants Nathaniel to know that I'm interested in knowing you, caring about you. Um, Nathaniel's got all these edges to him. Can you kind of pick that up from the story? And Jesus doesn't care. He's just like, I love you. He knows him. And there's this moment where he's invited into a transformative relationship with Jesus. And it blows him away. He came there for a fight. Jesus came there for a relationship. I remember talking with my atheist you know, friend who, is, who I just mentioned earlier. And he's like, man, Christianity's this, Christianity's this. I was like, it seems like you're talking about religion or the worst of what religion is. But I want to talk to you about a relationship. And as he started to experience Jesus, and really that come and see Jesus for yourself, not just what you've seen a, a state religion do that's, that's been perverted from the words of Jesus, but come know Jesus, like his life began to change. God began to speak to him personally, cared about him, who he was, his situation. And he, he described his journey to faith from skeptic to, to believer um, like this, he said it was like the room he was in was dark. And then as he got to know Jesus, re- relationship, not religion, it was like all of a sudden the light slowly turned on and the room lit up and he could see, oh, there's a couch and there's a window. And he saw reality different because of the conversation. And Jesus knew him. In our relationships, when someone is wanting to argue with you and debate with you, do they know that you know them, that you love them? Do they ask the question, how do you know me? I think that's so crucial. How many of you guys would agree with that? I, I love it when people actually care about me. <laughs> actually love who I, like, who I am. And they're not just trying to argue with, uh, you know, a point. They care about my person. There's a story of a, I'll be quick with this, but there's a story that I, 
I always have remembered as a gal who's an evangelist, she's really good at sharing her faith, speaker, kind of famous in Christian circles. I was riding on the plane, and she was seated next to a, a, a gal who was, in her, who was a teenager, and she was Muslim. And she had a face covering, and she could just see her eyes, and they sat there, and, and here she is, and she worked for the Salvation Army, and this gal is, uh, is Muslim. And they started talking, and at first it was kind of like, well, you know, what's your name, what's your name? Uh, they could see by what they were wearing that they believed very different things, and like, well, tell me about your faith, and tell me about your faith. And so they started on kind of like the different faiths, and the barriers, and the problems, and the issues. But all of a sudden, they started warming up to each other and started talking about things they had in common and asking more deeper heart questions. And by the end of their conversation, like they, were, they knew more about each other as human beings. And there's this moment where the girl with the face covering leaned forward, and she, just, she, she said she had these um, just eyes that just lit up the, the room. And she said, do you want to see my face? And she said, yeah. And so then she pulled back this veil, and she said she saw the most beautiful grin, mischievous, big smile, and it it was this connection. Do you want to see my face? Do you want to know me? I think that's one of the most powerful questions of the human heart is, is do you want to know me? And, and I, we see that in Nathaniel, Nathaniel saying, how do you know me? God wants to see our face. He wants to know our hearts. And if you are on a spiritual journey and you're moving toward Jesus or you have friends who are, the most important thing you need to know is that God wants to know you. And he knows that many times the arguments and the questions and the problems and the barriers and the hurts are all there, but he's more interested in you than in an argument. And he wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. And Jesus reveals that. And, and, and I love the, the rest of this conversation. Before Philip uh, called you, when you were under the fig tree, Jesus says, I saw you. Rabbi Nathanael replied, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Isn't it amazing that in this moment of reveal of God's love and compassion and really this miraculous moment, like I saw you at the tree before you knew I existed. I knew you before you knew me. I loved you is what he's saying before you love me. Nathaniel is transformed. He's like, oh, I'm fully on the team. And I, I, I believe in you. You are the Son of God. And Jesus, look at Jesus' response. Do you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? He's kind of amused. Like, like you were this big skeptic, and now you're like fully jumping in the deep end? Wait, wait a second. He's like, you will see greater things than this. You'll know, you'll know me better. We will get to know each other more and more. I'm so glad you're excited. He's like, but we're going to get to know each other more and more. And he finishes by saying, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And really what Jesus is getting at, which is a big theme in all of the book of John, is that you've got questions about heaven and earth. You're just like everybody else. How does this work? And you've got questions. Why, why isn't God doing this? And why is this happening? And he's like, but I have come to the, be the bridge between heaven and earth. You walk with me. And you will be walking in heaven in the kingdom. You will learn the answers to your questions. And you will learn some of your questions need to become better questions. And some of those questions need to become a reality in your life. Come walk with me. Come start a journey with me. And I love that Jesus sees in Nathaniel such potential. And he doesn't just move beyond him like he's unimportant. Like I've got more important things to do and more important people to talk to. He engages with him and he says, you come with me. You'll see greater things. You'll see God do things you could never imagine. 
You think it's amazing that I knew you were sitting under a tree? Are you kidding me? You're going to see much more amazing things. Come walk with me. And in that moment, he's also telling Nathaniel, if you walk with me, over time, you will not recognize yourself. Six months from now, a year from now, you won't even recognize who you've become because I have not come to argue you into the kingdom of God. I've come to transform you. So friends, just know this. As you move forward with Jesus in your life, six months from now, a year from now, I guarantee you begin to engage with Jesus. You begin to ask your questions. You begin to seek God and not just look for what's wrong and what doesn't work, but look for the good and look for what's right and look for what's noble and true and, and, and fully good. You won't recognize yourself six months to a year from now. You won't. God's done it in my life. I've seen him do it over and over and over. That's why we're in this series, friends. Spiritual conversations can change the trajectory of a life. Do you believe it? That's what we're about here at Whitewater. So here's four observations. You can write this on your notes. These are really quick. The first one is don't argue your way to truth. Discover truth together. Don't you love that about Jesus? He's not. And even Philip, they're not arguing with, with Nathaniel like up front. They'll, they'll, there's a time for that. There's space for that. But hey, let's start the relationship. I, I want you to know I care about you. Come and see Jesus. Come on this journey. And, and those questions will, 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 will come out and we'll be able to talk about those things. But it's not because I'm trying to beat you in an argument. We're trying to discover truth together. We're, dis- we're trying to discover truth together. When I'm trying to discover truth with somebody else, even if they believe something totally different than me, uh, they're Mormon, they're a Muslim, they're an atheist, what I find is that I'm transformed as, as we are discovering truth together. I learn. I'm not the same person. God reveals things to me that I would not have seen if I didn't engage in that. Make sense? The be- Another way of saying that this is the best offense for our faith is not to take offense. We're discovering truth together. I don't need to be offended with the language or, or the put-downs or whatever. Like, I just love this person. And God loves them, so let's talk. Number two is embrace honesty. Embrace honesty. I, I think this is also true, uh, that statement, the, the best offense is not to take offense. We want people's honest opinion. We want them to be able to be real. We want to be able to speak to their heart. And, and embrace people's honesty. Encourage honesty. Be honest yourself truth in love but truth number three people don't care uh, about what you know until they know that you care i've heard that for years but isn't it true jesus in one conversation loves nathaniel and reveals himself to nathaniel in such a way that he's like how do you know me because jesus cares about him he doesn't start off with what he knows he starts off that, hey, I care about you. And then they begin moving forward. The last thing is invite people to see who God is and who they could be. Invite people to see who God is. Come and see. When the Easter's approaching and, this, and with this sermon series, uh, if you have a Nathaniel in your life, the skeptic, family member, coworker, neighbor, whatever, invite them to come and see. Invite them to be part of the community. Invite them to be part of the, this series that we're going to be exploring, the you know, deep conversations that Jesus had around the big questions of life and with different personalities. Invite them to be part of that, that conversation. Invite them to, to Easter because when you invite people on the journey with Jesus, people are changed. Invitation leads to transformation. 
Invite people to see God and his love and his goodness and to meet him. Not just learn more about religion as like how to earn God's love or to do rituals for God's love or whatever. No, no, no. A relationship with God. And when people begin to experience Jesus, I love this about Jesus. He always saw who they could be. In the conversation before this, um, this conversation in the book of John, he meets a guy named uh, Simon. And he says, you know what, Simon, I'm going to call you Peter, the rock. And Simon was anything but a rock. He was all over the place. But Jesus says, I see what you can be. And he calls him Peter, the rock. He starts treating him as the future self he can be. He begins loving him. How many of you guys have had people who have treated you and spoken into your life as if you were the loving person that you're not yet, but you will be? The gentle person, the caring person, the smart. I've had leaders that have treated me as if I was more loving, smarter, better, gentler than I actually was in that time. And it, you know what it did for me? Made me hate them. No. <laughs> no, it made me like, it made me live into that. Peter didn't live into being the rock at first. Simon wasn't Peter. He wasn't the rock at first, but he eventually became the rock that Jesus built the church on. Bob Goff, a, a guy I like, he, he, he always asks this question, who, who are you going to be? What's the version of you in 10 years? I'd like to talk to that person. I'd like to treat you like you're going to be someday. That's how I talk to my daughter. That's how I want to talk to my friends. Spiritual conversations can change the, tra- the trajectory of someone's life. So I want to invite you, who may be here today and you're a Nathan, to begin seeing the good and come and see. Start the journey with Jesus. If you have friends who are, uh, who are Nathans, part of you is a, a, a Nathaniel. Begin moving forward and learn how to walk with Jesus. Learn how to engage in spiritual conversations and see what God is doing. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we're so grateful for you. Thank you for this time to consider your goodness. Father, would you just be with us um, today? Would you help us to see the Nathaniels in our life? And may they walk away from our encounters and with their questions and with our moments together with that question, how did that person know me? May we be a church where people, when they come here, they think, man, how does this church know me and care about me? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.